To another edition of the Girl Deconstruction Podcast, a uh, special edition of the mm-hmm. Youthscape Podcast. Daily. Well, you, you may have found this recording. Uh, with me, as ever, Martin Saunders, of course, that's me, hello, uh, is Rachel Gardner. Hello, Martin. Hello, everybody listening. Rachel, you may know by now, has written a book. <laughs> yes. Thank you for sticking on the journey with us. And it's called The Girl Deconstruction Project. Yes. Um, just a little reminder about um, what the book's about. Well, it's written for women aged 18 to 30. It's looking at some of the key stereotypes that we find in culture and in the church that women have to kind of wrestle with and work against. Sometimes think under, don't realise that actually we are empowered by the Spirit to fight against this stuff and to redefine our understanding of who we are in life, who Jesus says that we are. And, and, and in the 21st century, that's challenging, isn't it? Because lots of core ideas about what it means to be a woman. Some... I think are great to sit along our faith. Some are in real conflict. So it's kind of about working that stuff out. So we have been chatting to some great mm. uh, women uh, all this week and we'll continue to do so for the next few days. Uh, and today uh, you have the privilege of chatting yeah. to Chine McDonald, yeah. uh, who is about to start as the head of media at uh, Christian Aid. That's right. Yeah. And has been working previously uh, in quite high profile roles uh, in both World Vision mm-hmm. and the Evangelical Alliance. Yeah, she's absolutely a, a woman of influence. And that's why I wanted to interview her because I think so many women who I meet, teenage women and young women um, in the Christian world, are really keen to kind of not just decorate the environment but to transform the environment and and see politics and media and communications and business as a way of absolutely being able to live out that God-given calling. And, and Chile does it to an absolute gorgeous level, which is so phenomenal how she thinks about justice and injustice how she herself has experienced that and how she's processed that and then uses her voice to speak out against um, injustice when she sees it and just to bring about structural systemic change she's a really inspiring woman now as you kind of you hinted at there chine um is black yeah. and so has experienced uh, prejudice racial prejudice as well as what we've talked about already mm. is maybe some um um whether it's intentional or not, gender prejudice. Mm. Um, but you also talk about how gracious she is in, in how she talks about that. I mean, Rich, I found the interview just brilliant because she's so brilliant, but profoundly difficult to, to listen to her because I just sat listening to her thinking, oh my goodness, there's, you know, we, we can be aware in theory of the multiple levels of discrimination that people experience because of their race, where they've come from, disability, all sorts of issues. But it's just so kind of such a reminder to me that we need to check our privilege, Mm. that actually there'll be things that we'll be battling ourselves, but also we need to kind of get out of our headspace and listen to other people's story and just try and think, think, actually there's stuff that I don't know and I need to sometimes shut up and just listen and hear Mm. for someone else their experience of their gender and particularly where race kind of intersects with that as well, just how challenging Mm. and difficult. Mm. And so, yeah, I found it just a really moving interview. Well, um, we probably don't need to say much more than that as we introduce today's... Apart from the fact she's got the most gorgeous baby and you just hear him in the background. Every, I mean, so she's amazing. We're doing this interview and she's like juggling motherhood and she's got all this stuff going and she's writing like a thought for the day for Radio 4. I mean, I just sat in that space thinking, you are exhibiting what it is to be a woman of influence, both in your son's life and just kind of on this kind of much larger scale. She was phenomenal. Well, maybe we should say some more then because yeah. last night... Oh, yes. Uh, you and I were speaking... <laughs> You and I were speaking at an event together. We were. And what was amazing was watching you in absolute full flow when your gorgeous daughter 
decided in the middle of your like in the middle of your point to come and give you not only a little drawing she'd done for you, mm. but also she'd done a number of drawings for other members of the audience. She had. She'd actually. She's six years old. And uh, I had to take her with me last night because um, Chase and I both suddenly realised that we needed to be in different places. She'd been unwell the night before and so we kind of were juggling and she was better actually by last night. But we were like, ah! So I was like, I'll just take her with me, that's fine. And she decided at the back of the hall to draw activity sheets for the teenagers in yeah, the audience. because we had some teenagers. We had some teenagers. Yeah. So she drew dot-to-dot dot activity sheets because she was really oh. concerned they might get a bit bored and restless. Listening to, listening to me. <laughs> listening to you yeah. and then to me. So she produced both notes for me. She'd drawn some yeah. notes for me and these activity sheets for teenagers. And, and so, in that moment, she just like, no. But there is a serious point there mm. in, in, in terms of that is something that, as a bloke, I've never had to deal with. I've never had to worry about the, 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 the kind of domestic responsibility of my children and also yeah. being uh, uh, being up the front somewhere and leading a large room full of people mm. whereas you last night embodied having to do that and I would presume that's often mm. true for women I remember th- I remember the first time I spoke at a new one women's day after adopting our daughter and I took her with me and I took a teenage girl with me who I felt I'd kind of trained in the when I'm speaking please could that be the moment that you stick this 18 month year old in the buggy and go for a walk but the teenagers thought oh no I want to listen to you so I had them all like clamouring around me I think one thing that I've, I've learned and, and chatting to Chine and others who are juggling caring for a, for a little child or caring for a sick relative or somebody else is kind of being really really upfront about your expectations so how I do it with my husband is there's an agreement about actually and I it's my agreement if, if my if our daughter is ill I the agreement is that I will take that time to look after her and that's we've come to that agreement together because that's what works best for our families so what I find with women like Chine and others is that they've got this kind of plan in their mind that's kind of been agreed mm. um, because otherwise you that's when the stereotypes you fall back into oh well actually ex- this needs doing so now you've got to stop doing that and and mm. and, and I can think that can breed resentment so I think I see women have to do a lot of, we call it emotional labour, don't we, that sense of, mm. you have to think a little bit more, it takes a little bit more energy, a little bit more planning yeah. to get there. Um, but, it, but it means, I think, others in that space who don't have those responsibilities, I think, need to just be quite mindful that if this person's had to do all that thinking to get themselves here, mm. Mm. and you've just rocked up without having to plan it, then at least you do the gift of being your full self. Um, I remember being at an event and thinking, right, I've planned where my daughter's going to be. I've sorted this out. I've sorted that out. I rocked up to the event and all the guys arrived late. They couldn't be bothered to get there on time. And I was like, I have 45 minutes and I've planned this slot. And you guys, you know, you haven't had to do any of that. And you're just waltzing in. And I remember feeling really cross that they were wasting time that I was really precious time. So I think it's changed how I view other people. Mm. I think, I don't know what's, what they've had to do to get themselves here. So I'm going to give them the dignity of like filling this 45 minutes with what it is. Very, Does very, that make sense? I rather very, very good and very, very gracious, just like Chine McDonald. <laughs> uh, so I won't, I won't um, hold this up any longer. Um, so this is a great and wide-ranging interview about uh, influence and prejudice and privilege uh, and freedom as well. So let's hear you meeting Chine McDonald. The Girl Deconstruction Podcast. Um, so I'm absolutely delighted to be with Chine McDonald's and uh, your little beautiful little six month old boy is somewhere in the background so we were doing this podcast in between making sure that he's okay, he is gorgeous. <laughs> 
<laughs> so Chile, do you just like to introduce yourself to us? Who who are you? <laughs> so I'm Chile McDonald. I'm currently head of Christian influence and engagement at World Vision. So you're doing that kind of theology and Christian church engagement work. Um, but I'm on maternity leave at the moment, looking mm. after Kia, um, who's six months old. Um, and when I go back, I'm going to a new role at Christian Aid, so heading up their media and PR mm. team. Um, and yeah, so communications really is my it's thing. Your thing. Yeah, you're um, amazing. And I'm and I'm just watching you now. And actually, we've got people can't see on the podcast. We've got the little kind of monitor here, and you're watching your little boy. And I was just thinking, actually, my goodness, you do an extraordinary amount of things. And you're also watching your little boy, making sure it's okay. So I think I've arrived at a day where I get to see all the many things that you do. Chile, tell us, I mean, how do you do it? How do you do it all? Uh, um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I definitely squeeze a lot mm. in. Um, and sometimes I wonder whether that's the right thing to do or not. Mm. Um, but since having a baby, I have not wanted to kind of s- stop mm. doing the stuff that I think God's called me to do which means a constant juggling act, which means taking him to lots of board meetings, um, which means um, having one eye on him while maybe doing a presentation, which is difficult, but it's... um, I kind of like the adrenaline (laughs) of like doing lots of things. I'll have two hours sleep a night, like, yeah, "Yeah, I can do it. Has it it changed you in any way? Do you feel that you're more, you make make more of the time that you have? Or, I mean, because you have less, you suddenly realise I have less time. Like, how did I do it all before? Yeah, I don't don't know how, I don't know what I did with all those hours. Yeah, all those hours, yeah. Um, Because I've always filled hours, but now I think it makes me feel more focused. Mm. Um, if I've got to deliver a script or something for mm. Radio Four in, and I've got an hour to do it in the day, I've got to, I've got to do, it. do it. Um, and I've got to try and be disciplined. It hasn't worked mm. today with nap times, but um, <laughs> but yeah, sometimes you know things are out of my control. Yeah. Um, but I try to. I've kind of struggled over the years with saying no to things mm. and saying yes to things because um, I tend to say yes before thinking about things um, so I've had to say no to some things now mm. um, which I'm getting better at but um, it's, it's not so a comfortable hard, place for me no and, and especially I think I, I've known you you know sort of on and off for many years and you've often been one of the only women very high up in Christian organisations and so probably lots of people will know your name because of that, because actually you're breaking ceilings for women, which is just so brilliant. Um, but it means actually there's more of a risk to say no, isn't there? Because if you're the only woman that's being asked and then you say, I can't do it, that that can feel like a greater cost, can't it? Like maybe, have you felt that you've, you need to say yes more because actually these opportunities might not come around again? I mean, how have you handled that? I'm basically asking, how have you handled being the only woman in the room often? <laughs> yeah, I think... Um... I think when I was younger, I said yes to everything, partly because it was good for me to be in those situations, to stretch myself, to develop myself, but also really conscious that I hadn't seen people who looked like me very often in those Mm. positions. So I did feel a real sense of maybe burden or Mm. responsibility um, to to say yes and to do the things really well mm. because when you're when you're asked to do something you suddenly represent all black people or all women or mm. all under 35s or whatever it is um so you have to do things to the best of your ability otherwise that potentially mm. means that they won't ask other people again but now i'm just also a lot more conscious that there are other people mm. there are other black women there are other women there are other young women um and i don't have to say yes to 
I don't have to hog everything. Um, I haven't got time. And there are other people who need to be um, kind of raised up as well. So yeah. I'm trying to think more about who else could do yes. things that I'm asked to do. Yes. Um, I, and I think you are an extraordinary woman. You... You, you're incredibly capable and the, the stuff that you do if I think about threads from the Evangelical Alliance days where you were the head of media and communications I think the things that I know that you've put your hand to have always been absolutely excellent mm-hmm. so have you been a woman that's been driven from a very early age are you someone that's always wanted because I, I would say you're very successful and you're driven and I mean that in the best possible way you're very relational but you're also focused what you deliver you do really really well has that been something that's been instilled in you from a very powerful mom or <laughs> where's that come yeah. from yeah, actually, yeah. So I'm just thinking. Um, I'm a, from a, I'm an immigrant, uh, so I was born in Nigeria and moved to England when I was four. Um, and my I remember my parents saying to me when I was young um, that uh, in order to kind of rise above racism, you have to be excellent. Wow. <laughs> so you have to kind of um, dispel any question about whether you are intelligent or good at your job by just being the best that you can be. Um, so I've always, I probably have always had that in the back of my mind. Um, but actually looking back, I've had really, I've been really blessed with amazing teachers at school, people who saw something in me for some reason. Um, sometimes it was because I was tall and the tallest. I think they would be like, well, you can be form captain or you can be netball captain. they can or you see can... you like yeah, standing above the rest. Yeah. <laughs> so they thought I was more responsible. Wow. So people put me in positions of... I guess leadership before I was ready Um, and so I've never kind of faced that sense of people in authority or teachers or my bosses holding me back they kind of pushed me forward Mm, mm. Um, so I think that's helped that's kind of not answer your question no but, that, that's interesting because I'm just listening to what your your dad said to you and I just started thinking as you were saying that I that that is I've never had to think I've got to prove myself because of my skin colour. You know, I just mm. I'm starting thinking, gosh, that is such you know, that's we have such blind spots, don't we, because of the privilege or because of our own, you know, the things that we have no choice over, like our skin colour or our you know, gender or where, where we're born, what part of the world we're born in. And yet that's something that from a very early age was was really shaped that sense of actually I yeah I, I will rise above this and I I am a black woman I am a woman but I'm always going to be more than that as well I mean that's I feel both kind of heartbroken and really inspired by that actually that that so mm. did you experience racism growing up as a teenager as a, I think I um I experienced difference um so I remember when I was in reception class um in South East London so I'd probably yeah I've been in the country about a year everyone else was white I remember our teacher asked us to draw a self-portrait. Uh, I remember taking out, um, drawing my face, then taking out a yellow pencil and doing my kind of long straight hair and a light blue pencil and colouring in my eyes. I took a pink pencil under my cheeks um, and I finished. And then um, my friend looked over and she said, that's not you. <laughs> and it was suddenly, I remember thinking, oh, that isn't me. I don't wow. look like everyone else, which means I don't look like... Snow White or Cinderella or any of those kind of Disney mm-hmm. princesses. Um, so I, I remember being disappointed. Um, but actually, you know, I've I've not I didn't experience racism mm. um as a as a young as a child. But um I think the first moments when I did kind of experience a bit of prejudice prejudice was going to Cambridge University where 
Um, so in our year of 3,000, there were 10 black students. My goodness. Uh, out of 3,000 3, yeah. So there were more people with the surname White than there were no. black people oh, in our dude, year. You can't make it up, it can was, you? Yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, and, and Cambridge is an amazing university. I absolutely loved it. Um, but there were there were some quite um, old school kind of things that happen um, mm. where you meet quite old school um, lecturers and professors mm. and things. And people would say things to me like, you know, these kind of elaborate dinners that we'd have. They'd say things like, oh, I bet you're not used to this kind of food at home. And it was like, you know, chicken and potatoes. Oh and I've, had, I've had these things before. Oh, um, or I bet you couldn't find oh. it. Was it difficult finding, you know, other Nigerians to live with that... Um, at college and that kind of thing and it was just and I remember my cousins as well one of my cousins was in the same year as me and he's black as well mm. a six foot five rugby player and he would just get stopped at every kind of you know almost security point saying oh this bit's for students oh. and he was like well I am, I am a student so um, I think that that helped me in some ways realise that it's not necessarily all plain sailing. Mm. Um, that people see, uh, make assumptions when they see me, mm. and I try my best to try and. Wow. Um, oh. I mean, it's it's just it is just shocking hearing that. Like that that is an experience that you had at Cambridge University, a really progressive university, and and as you say, some of it probably was not meant to be anything other than oh, there's difference, and we want to kind of make that easier, and yet it, it reveals a really entrenched kind of narrow and profoundly racist attitude. I mean, how how did that not make your heart hard? I mean, you how how did that not yeah, I mean, how did that affect you? Um, how did you I say think that's okay? It's really strange actually for me. Oh, it's just complicated, like, mm. identity things. I remember being younger and all I wanted to, to do was not be different. Mm. So I wanted to not say I was Nigerian, to show how, you know, I was just like everyone else. And then I went to university and I think at some point in my kind of late teens, early 20s, I decided instead to embrace my mm. my my Nigerian identity, to learn more about my culture, um, I remember when I was younger visiting Nigeria I used to be I used to hate it <laughs> I used to kind of arrive and just be like oh I don't like this place but then suddenly I remember going back when I was bringing me like 21, 22 and just suddenly feeling like it was home in a way that it hadn't before um, and there's something about kind of being pushed to maybe uh, being otherised mm. makes you embrace your mm. your own identity and your, your real identity um, but now I would say I'm kind of I'm that kind of classic second generation but first generation immigrant in that I feel fully Nigerian mm. but fully British as well. I've married a Yorkshireman, like, it's like we're, we are definitely... Oh gosh, I've um, married a northerner as well. It's, it's like where it lands for us is, is curry sauce on chips or gravy mm. on chips. I mean, I have to say that for us is like a real tension point. As on cheese on Christmas cake. Oh yes, mm. no, what's that all about? There's some odd things, aren't there, about the northerners. We love you northerners. <laughs> Yeah, so for you, that actually that that hasn't held you back in kind of thinking. Actually, this is a table that not only I want to sit around, but I absolutely have the right to sit around. I've got a voice. I've got stuff to say. Um, so you talked about the, the experiences at Cambridge. Coming into the church, then, because the church is a massive beast, aren't we? We get things right, we get things wrong, and we have loads of blind spots. How how have you? So you're a woman in leadership. You're a you're a black woman in leadership. 
have you found similar attitudes as you found at Cambridge University as you've moved your way through your career and led in a Christian setting? Um, I think it's interesting. The UK church um, is much more divided among racial lines than I think we often acknowledge. So when I worked for the Evangelical Alliance, I found all of a sudden that people would ask me what... um, what the black church think about X or what the Pentecostals think about so-and-so. So the assumption was that I went to that kind of church because I was black, but I didn't. <laughs> so I went to um, a New Frontiers church in Kent. Like, mm. it wasn't... Um, and obviously, I, I love all kinds of churches, but mm. there was an assumption that that's where I went because I was black. Um, so there's something that's specifically UK church around the kind of assumptions about mm. people. And it's really interesting for me as a, as a as an immigrant as well and as a Nigerian. Um, the Evangelical Alliance did a lot of um, trying to break down those barriers between uh, churches of different races and ethnicities and they did that really, really well. Um, but it would mean that I would, was often in a really strange situation of being around a kind of big boardroom table with lots of people who would be like my uncles, <laughs> like my Nigerian uncles. And in those situations, in a kind of family setting, <coughs> I'm not, there's a kind of deference that I would have towards them, but I kind of struggled with, you know, being an equal, mm. um, being a director, director of the Evangelical Alliance, but then also being a young Nigerian woman, how to address them, what to do, yeah. <laughs> all this kind of stuff, it's really complicated. But stuff I, that your male and white colleagues <coughs> wouldn't be in any way, shape or form aware of. No, yeah. Okay. So it's very specific. So I, I saw that um, last year you were, you were doing quite a bit of stuff in, at Greenbelt Festival, weren't you? Particularly around Black Lives Matter and, and hosting a panel debate there. Do you find that, that you've been able to sort of move the conversation on a little bit? Because your experience has been actually I've been sat in boardrooms where there's so much of dynamic going on that people don't understand and I'm kind of pigeonholed as the Nigerian woman that can speak for all black Pentecostal churches. <laughs> actually, you've got to bust out of that, haven't you, in yeah. some way? So was that... How did you get involved with Greenbelt and... Yeah. yeah, so I've been going for a few years, about six, six or seven years, um, and I find it a really refreshing, I love it, very, yeah. very different yeah. um, kind of Christian festival. Um, it really makes me think. I love the talks, and I'm now on the board as well. Um, but um, Greenbrow is a very, very white space, mm. um, and so they've been trying to kind of uh, be more inclusive in terms of ethnicity. Um, and bring different voices to the table. So I've been part of leading on the Black Black Lives Matter. Mm. We've had kind of two years of doing panels with black women around race and identity. Um, I think the first year we called it um, Beyonce Blackness and Lemonade or something. Oh yes, because when her album came out. Yeah. Yes, I saw that. (laughs) Yeah, so that's really really interesting because it's just a space, it's just been a space for black women to talk honestly with each other but in front of a predominantly white audience and I know from those having done those that there are things that black women live with um that are painful um that are all-consuming but our white friends would never have an opportunity to hear Mm. us talk about those things and it's just been really good to just be able to say here's how we see the world and um, yeah, open up dialogue and conversation, mm. and yeah, and see if we can make a make a change. Absolutely. And have you found that? I mean, because that so you're speaking to a predominantly white audience. Have you found that people have 
heard that well, received that well, because the danger would be that there's another kind of othering that goes on, isn't there? Um, and we're kind of constantly leaping these kind of potential kind of holes that suck us down into like we just end up oh I've heard that so now I know and that's going to change me have you found that 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 does move the conversation on or do you feel actually we just have to keep doing this and eventually we'll we'll embrace diversity a bit more as a church yeah I think we have to do it for a bit longer (laughs) hopefully we don't have to keep doing it forever and ever um uh, most people who would come to that talk are probably people who want to hear and who are open to kind of changing I love people asking questions like is it okay for me to say this or here's how I'm thinking um like do you agree with Mm. that and help me understand or help me kind of practically change how I Mm. might um specifically around kind of microaggressions and things like that that we call um so So people people saying things like um oh can I touch your can I touch your hair (laughs) or um uh, I don't see you as black or Yes, now that that's a really interesting the whole colour blind thing, yeah. isn't it? Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I was at an event yesterday where we were just chatting about working with young people who have gender identity questions or gender dysphoria. We met a trans young person, and um, one of the questions was um, being sort of trans blind. Is that that actually we don't notice anymore, or actually does that? rob somebody of a sense of actually you're not really seeing who I am then because my journey of moving from male to female actually has shaped massively who I am mm. and even if you, I feel I was mis, it, misidentified but actually that journey is different to your journey because you're cisgendered so could, is that similar in terms of kind of the colorblind aspect? yeah and, feels, it's, mm. and it's so complicated because I at some points I feel like we should be colorblind and some points I feel like we shouldn't so um so I think there was, I think it was at the Greenbelt talk, there was a man who put his hand up at the end after we'd kind of talked for an hour and a half about um, all this stuff. And he said, um, well, I've got lots of black friends and I don't even see them as black. I see, he said, I see through their blackness. Oh. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> we've say, just well, they can see through your whiteness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just that kind of idea that, the blackness is doesn't matter doesn't matter yeah. or um it's something that needs to be overcome for me to see you as who you are um so i don't think that we should be colorblind um i think that we should embrace color and embrace diversity embrace that we're all different um but yeah i also don't want to be just the black person yeah. Yeah. so it's kind of like i don't know the answer yeah. um and i know it's really difficult um for for some white people to understand mm, that because mm. it feels like we're kind of moving goalposts all the time. But it's um, important we understand that, isn't it? It's yeah. important that actually we're, in, we're encouraged to... I'm going to use the phrase check our privilege, which isn't the nicest phrase, but that sense of actually if, if this doesn't make sense to us, then we need to listen a whole lot more because we're not getting it. Yeah. <laughs> um, a while ago I was up in Birmingham because we run the National Youth Ministry Weekend up there. And for the last couple of years I've been just meeting church leaders based in Birmingham and seeing what God's doing and, and a number of the black majority churches there and other churches that are really culturally diverse doing some great work and I met with a bunch of women of colour and, and they rightly said to me do you just do you just want one of us on your platform to make sure there's, there's a bit more shade of colour going on and initially I felt like what? Mm. and then I thought no actually I, I know what it's like to be the only female that sucks to be just ticking a box 
Um, and actually, these women were so amazing. They were like, this is not the end of the conversation, but we want to call you out at the beginning of it so that yeah. we all, we're all on the same page here. This is not just ticking boxes. We want to know whether you genuinely want to hear what's going on. I, I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit from you, just like your your hopes, your dreams for women, particularly Christian women who, who want to be women of influence and, and step into all God has for them, particularly women of colour. Like what, when you go around and meet women, what's your, what's your hope for them? Yeah, I often talk about um, being free to be who we are, regardless of whatever the kind of demographic that we have been born into. Mm. Um, so I, I often try to try and not conform to stereotypes. Mm. So I used to find that um, in meetings at the EA or you know other meetings where I'm the only woman. I'd find myself like tidying up like, at the end of meetings, which I don't even do very often myself. So it's not like it's like a natural yes, thing. A natural it was just thing. like a. It was just like a like maybe a psychological thing that I, that I was a woman, mm. and they were men. And they would never question it as well. That's part of the issue, isn't it? They would not think, oh, that's unusual that the one woman on the board is clearing up. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I just think everyone should clear up. Absolutely. (laughs) I I think that I should clear up. I think everyone should as well. So I shouldn't be the only one doing it. Um, uh, So, and for black women as well, I think that it's really important for us to try and also not conform to stereotypes of a black person but also be authentically ourselves as well. So try and question when people make assumptions about the music you like or um, whether you're going to be late or all those kinds of things that kind of creep into even Christian circles as well. And to do that, that takes courage sometimes uh, and that takes sometimes calling out things that are wrong um, that people might not know are wrong. so that the next time they don't um, don't behave in that way. So yeah, it takes courage. Mm-hmm. It takes having awkward conversations, which is like my worst thing. <laughs> like conflict is my worst thing. Um, but I've had to be brave in certain situations, even if it's um, not immediately, because I'm not a person who can come up with a quick kind of mm. "Why did you say that?" type. Mm thing but I might say can we have a coffee and mm. can I just talk and about real power this that happened in that isn't yeah. there going away thinking about what it is that you want to say and then working out what the best environment is to say that and then say it yeah. I've, I've done that recently with something and I said to a good friend of mine could you just could you it was a kind of a conference call type setting so could you just sit in the room with me and and just make sure like your presence will help me make sure I say the things that I've said I want to say. And yeah. I think I'm a 42-year-old woman and I need to do that. Because I think you're right, like, it is shifting massive things in our thinking, isn't it, as well? Yeah. saying, no, actually, this matters. And I'm going to say it. And if someone needs to be sat with me while I say it, yeah. just to go, go on, go yeah. on. That's, that's massive. Yeah. I think as well it's really important for us to have networks of women friends Amen. Yep. yeah so I just I've got a, my group of friends called the mighty women of valor um I <laughs> call that. do you have merchandise <laughs> don't, don't. <laughs> there's uh, I think there's eight of us um and we met a few like we all kind of knew of each other but kind of deliberately um created this little group yeah. we meet together every couple of months uh just have dinner to talk about what's going on in our lives particularly on a kind of work and leadership front mm. um as Christian women um, to pray together um, 
and now we've got a WhatsApp group and we basically every day are like, I'm just going into this meeting, would you pray for me? Wow. Um, this is happening, I'm going for this job. Um, this happened, do you think it was okay? Um, and just having that real just support network mm, mm. even when they're not physically there with you mm. um i had some coaching a couple of years ago and we were talking about all that stuff around um i guess um identity in a leadership position and kind of courage in that in mm. that um and me feeling like i was different because i was a woman and younger and black mm. etc and the kind of baggage that comes with that and my coach said to me what would how would you behave if all your mighty women of valor friends were watching you? Um, how would you behave if your team was watching you? Um, and how would you behave if your dad and all his friends were watching mm. you? I'd want to make them proud. Mm. Um, I would not. Um, I'd not be slouching. <laughs> um, I'd. Um, I'd be strong. Yeah. Um, so just pretend like they are. Yeah. I love that. I Imagine your mighty women of valour around you. And there's a little chapter in the book where I, um, called Close, and it's about, um, it ends with talking about who are the women that you take with you into these rooms. Yeah. So I, I talk about the women that I almost clothe myself in when I go into those difficult meetings. I've got a bit of this and a bit of that. And, and that's it, isn't it? That actually we we go dressed in the power of the spirit. Like we've got the, the um, armour of God on. But God has also equipped us, yeah, with other women who say, I'm cheering you on in this space. Mm-hmm. And if actually it all goes horribly wrong, that's okay as well. Is that right? He's so gorgeous. <laughs> Drinking some No, I love it. It's beautiful. <laughs> that is awesome. So um, we all want to join your mighty women of valor group now, but it's top secret. So we'll have to go and start our own one. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. So um, we're coming to the end of our little podcast interview and you little man have done amazingly. You've been so amazing the whole way through. Is there any sort of last sort of thoughts that you have, particularly for any woman listening to this who's like, actually, I want, I want to move to that space. I want to be someone that, that has women around me that I can call on, that I am breaking the stereotypes of my own life and also challenging others. Like, what, what's a very sort of simple step, first step that, that we could do? I think um, we all have women that we want, that we aspire to be like, <laughs> even if it's people that we don't see very often, like you mm. and Rachel. Oh, um, <laughs> I'm like um, you. I want to be like you. Um, uh, and I think sometimes it just takes an email to that person yeah. to say, can we meet up for a coffee? Yeah. Here's what I'm, here's what's going on in my life and what are your thoughts? And often people can connect you to other women yes. Um, yes. who you can see more regularly yes. or who are more who are in similar positions to you. Um, and I think it just takes bravery, bravery to yeah. do that. Yeah, absolutely, to be the one that reaches out. Because I think, as you say, actually, if you if you must, woman, they're not going to say no. That's it. They're, they are going to probably say, well, actually, I can't at the moment. But here's someone else that you could. I think connecting each other up is great. Yes. Well, we're going to leave it there. But thank you so much for your time and for being such an awesome mummy and an awesome woman and an awesome role model. And Chino, thank you so much. Thank you. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy of The Girl Deconstruction Project by Rachel Gardner, you can order it now at the Youthscape store, www.youthscape.co.uk slash store. Uh, It's priced £12.99 and published by Hodder. However, you can also win a copy uh, if you happen to be listening uh, when these podcasts go out for the first time. Uh, We are running a competition all this week uh, to win one of five 
delightful goodie bags, including a copy of the book uh, and a glorious limited edition Courage necklace. Uh, and you can get your hands on a cop- on one of those uh, by uh, emailing podcast at youthscape.co.uk with your answer to the question, what is one piece of advice that you would love to hand on to uh, girls, teenage girls, growing up in the UK today? Uh, that, so that's, uh, that's podcast at youthscape.co.uk. But as well as this podcast this week, did you know that every Monday we release a Youthscape podcast where we interview a fantastic guest from around the world of youth ministry? And uh, you can get that for free. You can go to iTunes or you can download it from the Youthscape store, which is youthscape.co.uk forward slash podcast. Mm-hmm.